first reading is taken from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 8, starting at verse 18. This can be found on page 767 in your church Bibles. You are my comforter in sorrow. My heart is faint within me. Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her her king no longer there? Why have they aroused my anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved? Since my people are crushed, I am crushed, I mourn, and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician here? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. This is the word of the Lord. Please, can I invite you to stand as Anita brings our gospel reading this morning. Uh, Today's reading comes from uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Three thousand litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it fifteen hundred. Then he asked the second, How much do you owe? Thirty tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it twenty-four. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, O Christ. Please do uh, take a seat. So, good morning. Um, I think this morning we will start with a video clip. So, would you like to roll the, the video, please? Enjoy. It's a couple of minutes long. Oh, there he is. Oi, Trigger! Here. Yeah. You know my brother, don't you, eh? Yeah, of course I do. How you going, Dave? Sorry I'm late, Del boy. I had to pop round my sisters to arrange an alibi for next Thursday. Joyce, hey! Del. What? Why'd they call him Trigger? Does he carry a gun? No, it's because he looks like a horse. <laughs> Listen, me and uh, Trigger have got some business to discuss, like that, I mean. Okay, so you get the drinks, meet us back here over by the table, all right? Oh, all right, sir. Anything you say, sir. What are my daughter, sir? <laughs> <coughs> no, no, very clever kid, you know, my brother. Yeah, he's got two GCEs. One in maths, one in R. Oh, you want to see him when he writes a letter? Some of the words he uses. What, long ones? Well, they're like that, you know, some of them. <laughs> anyway, what are you selling? This. I've got 25 of them all told. The others are in the car. I thought I won't wrap it up. Parcels attract attention these days. Best to carry it openly. Then it don't look conspicuous. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good thinking, that trick. Yeah, really good thinking. Goes so well with your sling-back Wellington boots and your off-the-shoulder donkey jacket. You look like an executive hod carrier. <laughs> Wait, Rogers, what do you think of this? Infradig, in it, eh? It's plastics. Plastics. Old English vinyl. <laughs> Combination locks. Yeah, dinky little handle, I don't know. Might be able to push some of them around the old squash club, say. So. We shouldn't have anything to do with them, Dill. Police most probably looking for them right now. <laughs> Tell us the truth. Are the police looking for these things, Trick? No, they're not, Dill. And that's the truth. Why are you hiding it under the table, then? Well, because you never know when they're going to start looking for them, do you? <laughs> Oi, we're partners. At least respect my opinion. All right, all right, Ronnie. I'll respect your opinion. How much? To you, Del Boy, £17 each. You know what happened to the real trigger, don't you? Roy Rogers had him stuffed. <laughs> all right, then. 14. 14. Leave it out. 5. 12. 6. 10. 9. Hey, done. <laughs> so, um, I'd imagine you probably recognise uh, where that, that clip was from. It's from the, the TV show Only Fools and Horses, uh, one of my favourites. And of course, um, it has as the main character everyone's favourite wheeler dealer, you know, um, Del Boy Trotter, and of course his son, sorry, not his son, his brother Rodney. And, of course, in that clip, we saw them up usual antics, you know. Um, and uh, the reason I thought I'd show that clip this morning um, is because in our reading that we heard from Luke, I found that I just couldn't um, reflect on that reading without thinking, um, without picturing the manager in the story as being a bit of a, a Del Boy type, you know, a bit of a Del Boy character, you know, someone who was a bit of a a chat the lad, you know, someone who liked to think of themselves as a bit of an on didn't really sort of play by the rules perhaps someone who, if he or she um, offered you a deal that you 
couldn't refuse. Um, it would be quite... Um, and today's parable, we meet um, this Del Boy uh, type character. And it's someone who's um, entrusted to look after his rich employer's assets, but who apparently um, doesn't actually do uh, much of a good job. You see, somebody has reported um, him to his employer to explain himself. Is there an issue with the microphone? Should we just swap? I might actually just perhaps use... I'll just use that lollipop. Okay. Just bear with me for a minute. Thank you. So we, can you hear me now? Perfect. Okay, let me just sort myself out. Yeah, so just do this. Right. Okay, good. This is live. <laughs> okay, excellent. So you can hear him at the back. Fantastic. Thank you, Jody. Okay, so where am I? Yes, so this, uh, this manager chap, he's called in um, to, to give a performance review uh, uh, of sorts, really, to his boss. And his boss isn't happy at all. You know, as performance reviews go, it doesn't get much worse. He is actually fired from his job. And maybe there's a bit of dramatic uh, finger-pointing there, a bit like in The Apprentice, you know, you're fired. And so what does this newly unemployed uh, manager in our story do? Well, you know, there are some clues in how he behaved when he was in post, so to speak. And we get the uh, impression that he probably wasn't exactly uh, Mr. Popularity. It seems that he may have burnt many of his bridges when he was going about his job. And he seems to have very few friends left. Because he comes to a realisation. He'd better start making amends with some of those that he had dealings with if he is to actually have any friends at all. And so off he goes and he visits uh, visits one of his ex-employer's debtors um, who he orders to quickly and quite sneakily halve the amount of olive oil that he still owes to the rich man. And then, of course, he's straight off to the next person and there he hastily gets him uh, to cut the amount of wheat he owes. And uh, that's job done. That's two folk that perhaps owe him a favour or two. Lovely jubbly, as one might say. And now, of course, we come uh, to the twist in the tale. Uh, the rich employer hears of what his ex-employee has been up to. Yet rather than being angry with him, you know, simply by actually costing him money, uh, you'd expect him to be angry with him, he does something else. He commends uh, the manager for his shrewdness. In fact, if we look at the Good News translation, it actually says that he praised him. Now, that is not the reaction that we would expect, is it really? So why did the rich employer have such a reaction? Well, you know, if we ponder this thought, you know, we may sometimes, we may find that actually when we read a story or, or some passage in the Bible, um, it can seem a bit like, a bit like a picture that's, that's out of focus somehow. You know, it simply doesn't quite add up. It doesn't quite make sense. You know, we can make out the shape of, of what the passage is telling us, 
but it is still too blurred to really um, see the message. Now, in those cases, we simply sometimes need to place the right lens um, before the text just to bring everything into a little more focus. And when it comes to the parables of Jesus, that lens quite often is simply understanding a bit more of the world in which the parable was set and understanding a bit more of the audience um, to who would have originally heard it spoken. And so in today's story, a little bit of background knowledge um, helps quite a way, I think, quite a much, quite much. <laughs> um, now, in ancient Israel, you know, Jews were forbidden to charge any interest when they lent money. But some, nevertheless, managed to get around this by lending in kind, as it were, and their Jews' goods um, as payment instead of money. And for this, they would use something that was easy um, to obtain, so perhaps oil um, or wheat or some other commodity that was, that was used to trade with. And so now, armed with this piece of knowledge, we can ask the following. Was the amount, the amount that the manager deducted from the, the bills owed, was that actually interest that the rich man had been charging in this slightly underhand way? And with this in mind, we can then ask, did the rich employer act in the way that he did, you know, not with uh, anger, but with praise? Because he was only too well aware of his own law-breaking, law-bending in charging interest in the first place. And surely, if he was to lay an accusation at his ex-employer's door, he would surely risk exposing his own shady business practices, wouldn't he? And finally, could it also be that the rich employer saw something in his manager's dealings that maybe reminded him of himself? You know, one dishonest rascal recognising another, perhaps. Now, Jesus alludes to this when he says that the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. And if we look up the word shrewd in a dictionary, one definition equates it to cunningness. Being shrewd is not necessarily something that we should aspire to. Now, Jesus makes a further point as well when he tells us that we should use our worldly wealth to gain friends for ourselves, so that when it is gone, we'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, Jesus, we can note, is most certainly um, not commending the manager's actions or the rich man's. He is condemning them, in fact. And he is also warning both his listeners, and that's us as well, that as God's children, you know, we must act differently. We must make different choices. We are not to give into the temptation of the world and to use what we have been given for our own benefit or gain. And we are most certainly not to be honest, uh, dishonest. <laughs> we are most certainly not to be dishonest or to take advantage of others. And Jesus goes on to ask this, can we be trusted to carefully steward what has been given to us? Because 
if we turn out not to prove trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Jesus tells us, who will trust us with true riches? If we can't be trusted with other people's property, who will ever give us property of our own? And Jesus ends with this incredibly powerful truth. No servant can serve two masters, he says. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, before we all um, nod in agreement and move on, here's a question to ask honestly of ourselves. Which do we serve? Where is that idolatry in our lives? Now, Israel, as we know, um, Israel is a nation that had constantly um, struggled with idolatry. Should struggle with it ever since being called out of Egypt. And Israel had many times, as we know, gone astray. The people turning from God to worship foreign idols um, in various different forms. And so in considering now the original audience that the parable was spoken to, there would have been another dimension to this story that would have been quite apparent to them. You see, this parable about a rich man and a manager and others similar to it, where, it took, where they talk of somebody uh, trusting someone else with their, with their wealth or their property. These sort of parables would have brought to mind the relationship between God and Israel. And it would have reminded the original audience of the unique and privileged role that Israel had been called um, to play by God. That of stewarding God's possessions that is reflecting his goodness and his message of hope to the surrounding nations. It was God's plan to bless the whole world through Israel. And with this, the first century Jew that heard this story would have been painfully aware that their nation had failed regularly um, in this task to be a blessing. They would remember how they turned frequently away from God to worship idols, and they would also remember the consequences that had come about through this idolatry. The consequences that had ultimately ended um, up with the whole nation being taken um, into exile. And if we think of our reading from Jeremiah uh, this morning, that really reflects the pain that Israel's disobedience caused. And in the chapter leading up to the passage that we heard in Jeremiah, actually, you know, God has a a dialogue with Jeremiah and he tells him that Israel has gone too far, you know, down the road of sin and rebellion, that Israel is just not listening. Israel's not listening to Jeremiah um, and Israel's certainly not listening to God. And as a result, judgment will soon come upon upon them in terrible fashion. My heart is faint within me, Jeremiah says, as he realises this. Now, in the time of Jesus, the Israelites were back home, of course. You know, they'd, they'd returned from exile. They were still under foreign rule, but they have returned from exile. And this parable, and others like it, were certainly to give them pause for thought. After all they'd been through... 
have they really learned the lessons from their past? So these two passages then, we have the one from Luke and we have the passage from Jeremiah, they can also be read as a warning for us too. You know, engaging in idolatry in all its forms, worshipping anything other than the living God, is a dangerous thing to do. And it is true that Jesus Christ has walked among us. You know, it's truth that he suffered and died for our sins. And it is also truth that he rose from the grave and we with him to, to a new life. And with this, we need not fear judgment for our sin. In Christ, we, not, uh, we need not fear judgment for our sin. But this truth should never mean that we become complacent in our sin. Because sin still has consequences. You know, sin, sin still robs us of what God desires to give us. Sin still stops us from becoming fully the people that God wants us to be. And so we must take idolatry seriously in all of its subtle forms. We must remember that as Christians, you know, we are stewards um, ourselves. You know, we have the immense privilege of stewarding the good news um, of Jesus Christ. And we can only do this ourselves if we are careful um, not to fall into idolatry. Do you know, I always find it a sobering thought when I realise that God is watching us. You know, not with someone, not with eyes of someone who's judging us, but with the concern of a father um, towards how we are stewarding our gifts that he has given us. And he's asking, are we being faithful with them? Are we allowing those things to be a blessing, uh, not just to ourselves, but to others? Or are we worshipping them? And God yearns that we steward what he gives us well, because then he can give us more. And did you, don't, did you not know that God always delights? He always delights to give us more. But God will sometimes only do this if we steward well, if we worship the giver and not the gifts. You know, I went to um, a church service, a place called Catch the Fire, a few weeks ago, and the lady preaching said that sometimes we, we worship the gifts and we forget that the giver is the one who deserves worship. And I thought in my life, my goodness, I get into this habit of worshipping the gifts and you know, thanking God for those gifts. But I forget to thank God for him um, actually being the giver of those gifts, if that makes sense. And idolatry in all its forms is, is a serious sin because not only does it rob God of the glory and honour that is his alone, but it's also damaging to us. You see, we always come to reflect what we worship and we're created to reflect our creator. And in following Jesus, we, we become uh, more and more like him. We become polished like a mirror in a way and we reflect his beauty and his goodness. And likewise, if we turn to, to worship created things, we begin um, to reflect those and we can very quickly become slaves to those things. 
So we must be careful. We must examine our lives constantly and continually. And we must strive to ensure that we really are um, worshipping God and God alone. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy what is good, you know, because every gift given to us to steward is from God to us for our enjoyment and our delight. But the danger comes when those things are given a higher or unhealthy place in our affections, when we start focusing more on the gift than the giver. Now, you've all heard of the term, you are what you eat. (laughs) So here is a question. What are we consuming in our lives? From newspapers and social media, television, interactions in our daily lives. Is it healthy? Does it all bring glory to God? Because we live in a culture where idolatry can be so subtle it can, and it can also be incredibly infectious. Are we eating up the messages that lead us away from the worship of God and our reliance on him? Or are we being wise and choosing every day to turn away from those things that are ungodly? Are we refusing to let those things take root in our lives? Because if we are to effectively steward the gospel that we are given, again, we must take our stand against idolatry seriously. You know, the world is watching us. You know, the world is fascinated by Christians. (laughs) The world actually, in some parts, wants to discredit us and dismiss the gospel we proclaim as nonsense, they can, you know, so the world can move on um, without God. And yet, the world desperately wants a reason to believe in the hope that we are professing. And the most visible sign um, for that reason to believe is us. It's how we live out our lives as Christians. You know, do we act and live our lives in a way that demonstrates? the world that we only have one master, Jesus Christ? Do we show in our lives that we are uh, taking, following Jesus seriously? So I want to finish this morning um, by encouraging us. I want to encourage us to examine our lives continually, to, to get into the habit of coming before God and asking him, what is in my life that needs to go and what needs to change? I want us to be encouraged to be honest um, before our God in our struggles. You know, I want us to be bold to ask God to show us those things and to make um, steps to change. And finally, I want to uh, say that as we all journey forward, you know, with our struggles and our doubts and our failures and our victories and our joys that we may be assured that we are loved right now, you know, just as we are, just where we are, that we are forgiven, you know, we are justified. Those things will never change. And with this, can we remember that we are called today and every day to draw closer to God, you know, to reflect him more and more, and to be ever more blessed by him, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. And may we finally remember to share those blessings um, with the world about us for the glory and honour of our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen.